the life of cross life where there's a lot of things we taught at the very beginning, first six months maybe, um, as we were kind of forming and coming together and started meeting publicly. And a lot of things we went over uh, as far as the DNA and the heartbeat and the essentials of what we want to be about. And then we kind of move on from that. And the tendency is to never go back to, oh, yeah, let's pause for a second and remind ourselves of what we want to be about and what our what cross life, um, what the prayer is and the, the heartbeat and the distinctives of what um, our prayer is for this church to be. And so um, it's hard to uh, replicate something you are not. And so we want to make sure we are who we believe God has called us to be at a church as a church. And so we it's the reason we're going to rethink the church. Another um, thought that I heard years ago and um, has just really rang true in my life, um, in my understanding of community where God has placed us here, is that the area is over-churched but under-gospel. Over-churched but under-gospel. There's, there's a lot of churches, and there's some good churches, but there's a lot of churches that aren't so good necessarily. And they're preaching a moralism, and they're preaching really what, what Paul attacked in the book of Galatians as a, another gospel, a false gospel. And so we want to distinguish that. And, and this morning specifically, and I don't want to take too much time in the time of introduction to... Um, so we can not have enough time to focus on the remedy here. But the things we're going to talk about this morning really are some of the essentials to where if we would get this, if we'll get this, we're going to talk about this word, we'll understand this, it's the key to unlocking the Christian life. It's the key. And to be honest, it's not some new truth that's some new fad, a new book we've read, a new... It's just really the point. It's just the point in the heartbeat. We talk a lot about how to come into faith in Christ, and then we don't talk a lot about what happens after that, and we really shift to... Um, once you become a Christian, okay, here's your list. Here's the stuff you need to be doing. And we forget that that's really not the point of, that's not how we mature in the faith. And so hopefully that will become abundantly clear uh, this morning as we jump into the passage, uh, into these different passages and talk about this, um, these concepts this morning. Uh, I want to begin by just looking at some of the misunderstandings of the church. I want to show a little video to you that I think will illustrate the point of how we've kind of missed it a little bit. Oh, yeah. I am a man who knows what he wants. I know what it takes to make a good Christian life and customizing your church going experience is the way to go. Take this morning, for example, beautiful Sunday morning. I wake up. I know it's going to be a good day. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Modern conversion bagels. I love me some bagels. New Horizons has the best bagels in town. I always ask for blueberry because ask and you shall receive. So I get me some blueberry bagels. And then after I eat those bagels, I got to wash it down. So I head over to St. Josephine's to get the coffee. They serve Starbucks. Then the best thing on the list there is the Luke 638 Leche Cappuccino. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together. It's running over into me. It's good. It's good. I like the greeters at Morningside Baptist. They're the best. They give the best hugs. And so you really can feel the warmth. Then I head over to Open Hearts for worship. Then I head back to Hillside AG for the sermon. Because the preacher is a good preacher. He gives me lots of things to think about, but doesn't make me feel too guilty when I don't think about it. You know what I mean? You know, no? Well, regardless, right after that, I head over right across the street for communion because they give you an entire dinner roll. Boom. 
like not, eh, boom, an entire one. There's no butter for it, but it's okay. It's a body of Christ. It doesn't need butter. From there, I head over to the Crock-Pot Lutheran Church for their weekly potluck. They do it every Sunday. So good. They know how to feed my soul. Sticky buns and chicken casserole. <laughs> so it's all about customizing your church-going experience. Jesus said, God helps those who help themselves. That might have been Ben Franklin, but either way, they're both smart dudes. So how's your spiritual life? What? How's my spiritual life? I guess I'll have to find a church for that. It's uh, scary how true that often is. And, uh, you know, it's not bad to be welcoming and to have coffee and to have donuts and to have rolls and to have whatever, and that's fine. We're going to feed you after the service. We have coffee in the lobby. Those things aren't in, in them of themselves uh, wrong. So that's good, man, for, for us to open, be open to people and, and love on people and, and be relational. That's great. But if that's it, then we're missing the point. And I think that's what's happened in so many uh, churches. Churches become about something that we do, not who we are. It's not about who we are. Churches become a leisure activity surrounding an event where we come together and we remember Jesus, think about Jesus for a moment, and we go back about our lives for the week. But in the first century church, in the early church, and around the world even right now, there's places where the church of Jesus Christ is thriving, and it's made up of people that are daily surrendering to Jesus, living lives defined by Jesus' presence and by his power and by his mission and that's what we want to be about that's the kind of church we want to be a couple of the misconceptions is the uh is the church that has the i do so i am mentality i do i'm here's the stuff i do so, so therefore i am because i'm doing this the right things i obviously i am commonly when a person becomes a christian or joins a church or takes steps to live for god we introduce them to a host of different activities and programs that have become part of our christian culture in fact, sometimes when I see somebody follow Jesus, one of the, the, my hesitations is to let them get around other Christians because the quicker they get around other Christians, sometimes the quicker they get bad habits. You know, when you first become a Christian, you are just, it's like you, you're infectiously in love with Jesus and you just want to share it with everybody. I'm just, Jesus has rocked my world, changed and transformed my life. I mean, they don't know that they don't have to share their faith. They're, they're, their mentality you know, when you first become a Christian, you just want to share your faith with everybody. But once you get around other Christians for a little while, we start realizing, oh, that's, we don't have to do that. We can invite people to church and our preacher will kind of explain the gospel at the end. And that's how they can kind of, so if they want to hear the gospel, they can come to church and, and if they, and then they can sit through the whole sermon. And maybe at the end, somebody will explain it to them or they can come and they can explore or there, but we don't have to really share that with people. That's so, so book of Acts, but things are different now. We don't have to do that now. That's just a natural thing. When Jesus changes, transforms your life, you want to go tell the world about it. And so, but we, we kind of shift and we, the subtle message becomes church is, uh, it's all about the process of here's the things you do. Do these things and you will live. So many of us have jumped in and served in many activities, well-intended and for great purposes, but often feeling as if somehow God will be pleased with our efforts. If we just keep doing, maybe God will be happy. But there comes a point where you, the applause never comes. It never seems to be satisfying doing so that God will love us because that's really not the way it works. We're busy doing things, trying to, 
be sanctified, and then one day uh, we're spent, unfulfilled, burnt out, and it seems like God's just abandoned us. Again, that, that's not the point. Another uh, misconception is, uh, another danger is duty uh, rather than delight. It's the temptation to be faithful to the rules of the house of God, kind of like the rich young, not the rich young ruler, but the, um, the prodigal son and the older brother in that story where he always lived in the father's house. He never took a part of the inheritance and took off and ran. Um, he stayed in the father's house. He always played by the rules, always did what the father expected him to do. And, and so he, had, he was faithful to, to do what the father asked him to do, but there was no delight in his relationship with the father. We do all that God requires until we don't get what we think we deserve, revealing that ultimately all of us have a price limit. I'll pay this much, but if God doesn't come through, then that's enough. You start asking serious things for my life, God, and at some point I'm going to draw a line and go, no, I'm I'm cashing out. You didn't deliver like I thought you would deliver. Kind of like the rich young ruler who had in his hands, get this, the ability to secure eternal life. All he had to do is sell everything he had and give to the poor. And the price was too high. The price was too high. And so often we, we have a price limit. This isn't the point of the Christian life. The point, in fact, let me, let me illustrate it by, let me draw your attention to the, this kind of the self-centered uh, life. And, and this is maybe the chart maybe you have operated under or, uh, or you've known people to operate under. Uh, what you have on the, on the, at the beginning of this is, is a person comes to faith in Christ and as, they, as they're... Uh, they begin strong, excited about God. God's big. Jesus is awesome in their life. And then things start to progress. And starts, so the sanctification process begins. And what happens is sanctification is the process by which we are being conformed to the image of Christ. We're growing in our relationship with Christ. Justification is what happens really when you give your life to Christ. You are justified. You are, you are forgiven of your sins. Positionally before Jesus, you, you are considered um, uh, cleansed of your sins. And so what happens is sanctification becomes the means by which we earn our justification. And that's really not the way this works. You'll see that in a moment. And so we have our efforts to clean up our life and serve and minister. So what, we have, what happens is we start decreasing God's holiness because we think we can do enough stuff to please God. And then the other side of this is we start pretending and performing, pretending like we're better than we really are. You know, I'm really not that bad. I mean, you should see there's other people that are way worse than me. Or we start performing. You know, if I just do enough stuff, God's going to love me. And when, in doing that, we end up minimizing our sin and making ourselves to be bigger than we are. And all the while, what happens is the cross shrinks in our life. It's just not necessary. We could do this ourselves. That is not the message of the Bible, and that's not the truth of the gospel. The other slide is the gospel-centered life. And here's what it looks like. You come into faith in Christ, and you are justified. Justification happens. You repent of your sins, and in that moment, God has dealt with the penalty of sin for the rest of your life. All the sin you've done is dealt with. It's gone. It is under the blood of Christ, and you are set free from the bondage of sin. You're no longer a slave to your flesh. You're set free from that. But then you begin this process of sanctification. And in the process of sanctification, that's why when you become a Christian, you're not perfect. God has just removed the guilt of your... He's not going to hold you accountable for your sin and now he begins the process of, of making you more like Jesus. And so in that process of sanctification, what is happening in this journey is we come to a greater awareness of God's holiness. As you first give your life to Christ, you think, well, God is really holy, and I don't want him to send me to hell, but you, you don't realize how holy God is. And as you grow in the Christian life, you, you grow in, in your awareness of God begins to, should, if you're spending time in the Word and in a church that preaches the Bible, 
you should be coming to the awareness that God is a little bigger than we thought he was. And constantly the, the boxes that we place God in and how we try to define him in our lives, we realize he's a lot bigger than we thought he was. He's, he transcends our labels. He's outside. He is um, beyond um, what we thought he was. And then the other process is our awareness of sin. This is the bad news. begins to grow. We start going, you know what? The more I see how awesome God is, the more I realize how awesome I am not. And so that creates a crisis in our lives. And so when we don't minimize our sin and we don't decrease God, what happens is the need for Jesus becomes bigger and the cross grows in our life because we need Christ to become bigger. I'm so much more um, desperately in need of Jesus today than I was um, 30 years ago when I gave my life to Christ. Because my awareness of God's holiness has grown and my awareness of my sinfulness has grown. You say, so you're telling me you're more sinful than you were? Well, there's probably less junk in my life. But the subtleties of sin, not the stuff you do, but the motives, are, I'm much more aware of those things now. I'm much more aware of the pride and the self-justification that starts to bubble up in my life, the attempts to um, try to carve out my own the attempts to bargain with God. If I do this, God, then you need to do this. It, my, my selfishness, how I constantly am trying to shift the agenda to where it's about me. Those little things that, that I didn't notice those at the beginning of the journey. I wasn't even aware that, thankfully, uh, that that was part of my issues. But it's the sin beneath the sin beneath the sin that God is slowly carving out in my life that I'm seeing. And so as he exposes those things, I have an opportunity to repent of those sins and then to trust in Jesus to make me who I can't be in my own power. Jesus becomes bigger. Jesus becomes larger in my life. Last week, we looked at the importance of knowing Christ, and this is accomplished through spending time with Jesus, feasting on his word, talking with him in prayer, listening as he speaks to us through his word in, in contemplative prayer. And this is how we grow in our knowledge and experience um, Jesus and his ways, but there's one critical element that we, we left out. And it's important for us to spend time with Jesus, important for us to, um, to carve out time to hear him speak to us and to speak to him through prayer. But we have to understand how to relate to him. What is the nature of our new relationship with God? That's the question we want to answer this morning. What's the nature of our new relationship with God? What does it mean to be a new creation, a new creature, to be a child of God? What does that really mean? How does that flesh out in my life. The other aspect of knowing Christ is waking up to the reality that we have a new identity. When you repent of your sin and you leave your nets behind and you follow after Jesus, you become a new creature. You gain a new identity, children of God. John chapter 1, verse 12. You can write this down or follow along in the Gospel of John. We're just going to jump through a couple passages that, that kind of anchors this to the Word of God. But it says, But to all who did receive Him, all those who had received him, who believed in his name, they gave the, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so in that, he gives us a new identity to those who have received him, who have believed in his name. He's given us the right to become children of God. We become part of his family. We have a new identity identity that's a an amazing thing and then you go to john chapter 3 verses uh, 3 through 8 let me jump there it's a familiar passage where nicodemus comes to jesus and says uh in the darkness the cover of night rabbi 
we know that you are a teacher from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter into uh, a second time into his mother's womb and be born. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said these things. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So Jesus says to all who have received Jesus, who have. Uh, who have believed in his name, he has given the right to become children of God. But then he goes on in Nicodemus, he spells out a little more. And he says, if you want to get into the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be born again. And Nicodemus, obviously, well, what, what does that mean? He's now nah, I'm not talking about born of flesh. That which is his flesh is flesh, but that which is of the spirit is spirit. And so he says, you need to be born again, spiritually uh, alive to God. Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, we are born dead in our transgressions and our sins. So we're born spiritually dead towards God. You have a soul that will never die and you have a physical body. And in your soul is your mind and your will and your emotions. But your spirit is dead towards God when you're born. And if you're here and you're kind of exploring the Jesus thing and you're not sure what you think about Jesus, understand that you're in that season there. You're spiritually dead to God. So that's why you might read the Bible and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. It doesn't really, it's not as interesting. But yet there's still something that's drawing you. That's God in his grace and his love and his mercy caring enough about you that while you're dead in your transgressions and sins, he's drawing you to himself. He said, no, I'm just trying to figure it out. Well, you know, Romans chapter three says there are none that seek after God. No, not one. Nobody seeks after God on their own initiative. Only those who the father's drawing to them, opening up their eyes so that they can see. He has revealed himself through his creation and specifically through his word. And he draws men to himself, women to himself, that they would follow him. And so if you feel that tug, if you understand that God, the creator of the universe, is, is drawing you to himself, that you would be born again and in that when that happens when a person repents of their sin turns away from their sin puts their faith and trust in jesus what happens in that moment is suddenly they are awakened and they go from death to life and it's like a light bulb goes off and you're you're suddenly you're awake and you start to see the world looks different than it used to the word of god looks different to you than it used to it doesn't mean you're going to have it all figured out if you could figure out the bible then god didn't write it okay if we could figure the whole thing out then then they must have been written by some some guys. But if we can't figure it out completely and if we constantly go back to it and there's more truth and more things to wade into and more things to dive into and to dig deeper in and we're constantly it's speaking to us and changing us, transforming. Obviously, it is a supernatural book written uh, by God through the vehicle of men. And that's that's uh, the reality that we find. And when you become a Christian, Holy Spirit comes in you and dwells you and he begins to unlock the word of God. Let's look at another passage. We looked um, last week at uh, John 15, and I want to come back to that passage. John 15 says, uh, I am the branches. Whoever. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever um, abides in me will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches 
Okay, so you have the vine, and then coming off of the vine, the vine's like the trunk, okay? And coming off of the vine are branches, and when you're connected to the, to the vine, the branches bear fruit. And so when, when they're connected, the, the life that flows through the vine comes into the branches and produces fruit. So the key to fruitfulness in the Christian life is being connected to Jesus. So first we understand it. We have to believe in Jesus, receive Jesus. We become children of God. You're born again. And then we go on to understand that we need to abide in Christ. Now, um, let me give you another passage of Scripture. I think we'll explain this uh, a little more. In Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 28, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bore witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So again, let me, let me back up. Verse 21, I want you to, to um, soak up what this is saying, okay? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, it's been revealed apart from the law. The law has told us, here's all the things you've done wrong and here's where you're guilty. And that's awesome. The law is not bad. The law is great when it's used right because it confronts us with our need for Jesus. And so the law confronts us of our need to Jesus, and, and then God has manifested his righteousness. He provided the righteousness that will never be achieved by obeying the law. You're never going to be good enough to get righteousness. You can't do it. You're unrighteous. I'm unrighteous. And so he's revealed this apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bore witness of this, the righteousness of God that comes, how, where does it come from? It comes through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. To to be received by faith. Now, propitiation is a big Bible word that uh, is intimidating, but nonetheless is full of so much awesome meaning. Propitiation means it's, it's a satisfaction. It's the satisfaction of the wrath of God. Jesus has become our propitiation in that God has satisfied the wrath of God that needs to be poured out on our lives because of our sin. He has extinguished it. He has, he has um, satisfied the judgment that we deserve in Jesus. Jesus has borne upon himself the wrath of God for our sins. He has become our propitiation by his blood being shed. To be received by us through faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. And it it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, this is beautiful, both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's the thing that Jesus did or God did through sending his son. Okay, God did not say, you know what? You guys have messed up a lot, but um, I'm loving and I'm, I'm nice and I'm God. I can do what I want. So I'm just going to go ahead and forget. Let's forget about the stuff you've done. Let's just forget about it. And I'm just going to go ahead and forgive you. And you can come in to heaven. You could spend eternity with me. If God did that, he would be a liar. He would be unrighteous. He would be unholy. And he would be, of all things, <clears throat> unjust. It's the, it's the equivalent of somebody hurting one of your family members, somebody brutally 
murdering or doing something horrific to one of your family members, the evidence has been brought forth, the person has been captured, we bring him before trial, we bring him before the judge, all the evidence is brought there, and the judge says, you know what, um, I see it all, and clearly this guy is guilty. Yeah, he is he's guilty, but you know, honestly, he's not all bad. He's an all right kind of guy. I kind of like him. I'm going to go ahead and let him off. I'm just going to forgive him. Yes, he murdered your loved ones. Yes, he was, he, he, he was really brutal and, and it was really bad what he did. But, you know, everybody makes mistakes, you know? So let's go ahead and let him off. That's not the God of the Bible. That's the God of Islam. That is not the God of the Bible. The, the, God, of the, Bible, uh, the God of Islam just says, hey, I'm going to forgive and I can do what I want. And when you ask a Muslim, how can he do that? On what basis does Allah forgive? He's well, because Allah can do what he wants. We can't question Allah. Well, yes, we can't question Allah. God, Allah is unjust if he can just forgive sin arbitrarily without giving a paying for it. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is just and the justifier. He has upheld the law because he has sent forth his perfect son to come and pay the penalty on behalf of our sin. So he can forgive us justly because he has justified us and maintained his justice. He is still holy. He is still righteous. He still upholds his law. He is not um, a psycho God that has two personalities, one that's mean and one that's nice. He is perfect in his thinking. He is perfect in his justice. He is perfect in his righteousness. And that's what that passage is shown his righteousness at present time, that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. Then. What becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is where we're getting down to the meat here. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, here's another passage that illustrates this point. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In other words, who has cast a spell upon you? I love um, one translator translating this to his kids, um, paraphrasing it to his kids, really. Uh, he, he put it this way. Instead of saying, oh, foolish Galatians, he says, my dear idiots. <laughs> like he loves them, but he's like, what are you thinking? Who has bewitched you? Who has entranced you? Uh, put a, tr- a trance upon you. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was, was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith did you become a christian and when you become a christian child of god you receive the spirit you're born of the spirit born again did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith clearly we know salvation comes by faith in jesus and what he's done right and so they began and they were they were justified through hearing and their faith in christ And what happened at that moment is they shifted to the other model and they started this list of things you need to do if you're a good person. And they started the process. And this is what I talked about, the introduction, the beginning of the message. They began doing the programs, doing the stuff, doing the things. And so they they had a list of things that they had. And their list was different than your list is probably. But but nonetheless, they had their list. And so they started obeying the list. They started doing the stuff. They started and they were told by people, yeah, it is Jesus, but it's Jesus plus you got to do some stuff. And so they began, great, but they abandoned and went to a false gospel, another gospel. And so he says to them, did you receive the spirit by works of law, hearing through faith? Verse three, are you so foolish? 
having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Here's, here's where this all comes together. And we're going to flesh this out a little more. Hopefully it'll continue to be a little more clear to you in the next couple moments. But what happens when you become a Christian is you begin by the Spirit, you're awakened to new life. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, gospel means the good news about Jesus, life, death, burial, resurrection, the gospel of salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. By the way, I met a guy this week. Um, I was in a restaurant and talked to a guy in the lobby. We got into a spiritual conversation. And one of the things he said to me, he said about his sister. My sister's raised this way, but I, I believe this way. I also don't think like her. And one of the things he said was, I, I think that when you become a Christian later on, at some point, you get the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what the Bible teaches, right? And I was like, no, that's not what. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, and he is the seal of your salvation. You're not saved unless you're sealed, and you're not sealed unless the Holy Spirit comes in. He's the stamp saying, you're in, you're good. You say, well, how do I know that there's, there's life after death? How do I know I'm going to heaven one day? You have the Holy Spirit in you, and that's your guarantee to telling you that you're going to get there, Okay. You don't feel like you are, but when you repent of your sin, put your faith and trust, you are born again. You become a Christian. You've been justified. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells. He's the seal of salvation. He's the guarantee of eternal life. When that moment, when that all happens, that is the beginning of, of, of this process of being sanctified and growing in our relationship with Christ, abiding in Christ that we might bear fruit, because apart from him, we can do nothing. And so go jump to that slide you had up there, and let me just try to explain this in this way you have a new identity a gospel identity and it begins with a relationship with jesus and in that you become a worshiper of jesus you become a worshiper of jesus when you see what jesus has done for you you realize the sacrifice the perfect life he lived the the fact that he left heaven in the first place to come to earth to rescue us who had messed everything up dies on the cross for us lived the perfect life dies on the cross uh, an unjust death he shouldn't have had to die like that he was not guilty, yet he pays for our guilt, resurrected, ascends the right hand of the Father, and then pursues us relentlessly, drawing us to himself, that we could be rescued in salvation. We understand that? I sit back and I am amazed that God would save me, that he would save, that he would call us to be about, and I want to worship. I want to worship. And everything, understand this, worship isn't a part of a service. It's a life that it's focused on Jesus. So many churches fight over music style and they don't even have a clue about what worship is about. It's not about the latest or the oldest style of music. It's not, it has nothing to do with it. I mean, it's a way that we can focus on Jesus. It's a vehicle to, to kind of get us back on track. But ultimately, worship is our heart's affections and our mind's attentions fixed on Jesus. And that should happen, could happen, ought to happen while we're working during the day. When we awaken in the morning, as we drive down the street throughout the day, we're thinking about the goodness of God, the wonder and the beauty and the power of Jesus, of King Jesus, his grace to save us and to sanctify us and to change us and to transform us. And and we live a life in relationship with Jesus, not living a life for Jesus, but in relationship with Jesus as a constant worshiper of Jesus. And from that flows these new relationships. And so the first one is that's going to change the way you do home. 
When that happens, suddenly your relationships at home and with your family change and we begin to serve one another and care for one another out of love. And home is different. You say, well, my spouse doesn't know the Lord or my parents don't know the Lord or my kids don't know the Lord. That's horrible, but we're going to pray that they do. We're going to pray that they do and we're going to pray that they see that as you, you being a worshiper of Jesus, you having a red hot passion for Christ, just in love with you, so thankful for what he's done that Jesus just permeates from your life to where they would want to know him more. In fact, that's one of the descriptions in First Peter. It, there's a mention of, um, of a wife whose husband doesn't know Christ. And in, in the context of that, it says that if, as, as she humbly submits to her husband as unto Christ, um, she lives in such a way that, that even without a word that he would be one to Christ. You know, what if we loved one another in a way that we didn't do things to get things, but we loved in such a way because we ultimately, everything we do is a, is a, is a life of worship to Jesus. It changes the way we do family, right? The second thing is it could change our relationship to one another in the body of Christ, the relationships with the family of God. Suddenly we become a servant to one another. And, 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 and it's not about what we do. Now it's about who we are. I have a relationship, I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm a worshiper. I have, my family's different because because I worship Jesus, I serve, and I love my family, and I am part of the body of Christ. And I love people that are different than me. You know what? The more different you guys are, the more exciting I'm going to be. Okay, I'm not just talking about changing, but I, I mean like diverse. I mean, I mean socioeconomic. I mean racial diversity. I mean, I mean uh, different walks of life, different things. If we all look like you know, uh, a bunch of college students or a bunch of senior adults or a bunch of empty nesters or a bunch of young families. If we all look like that, we don't look anything like heaven. And it takes no special effort. It takes no work of the Holy Spirit and no worship of Jesus to cause us to love people that are different than us. What evidences, what evidences the real Christian life and puts it on display for the world, what becomes attractive to the world is when a group of different people coming from different backgrounds, different walks of life, come together to worship Jesus. And because of their worship with Jesus, their life, their family is different. And they connect in community with a group of people that are different than them, from different walks of life, from different ages, from different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different parts of the country, different parts of the community different counties, whatever. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. And we don't resent one another. We don't hate one another. We don't, we're not jealous of one another. Man, we just love one another because God has brought us together. And so we live in a way where we, we take care of one another. We serve one another. We pray for one another. We minister to one another. That's the second part, or third part of our identity, how it changes. And the last part we've already kind of mentioned is our relationship with the world changes. Suddenly, we start looking at the world and, the, and that guy at work that's such a pain that really just always has it out for you. Just You start looking at him and you just start going, or that girl, whatever it is, a boss that just, just mm, you, you know, you just, oh, God, would you smite them? Would you just get them, God? And you're praying in precatory prayers of David and the Psalms on them and God smashed their teeth upon the rocks. Father, would you just, changes because you go, you know what? But the grace of God, I would be there and I was there. I'm so thankful that I'm not there. Um, but I'm praying that they won't be there. And you start going, oh, God, I pray that you change their life. I pray that you say, oh, God, help me to, to die to myself so that I don't want to claim my rights 
but I would just allow you to be seen in my life. As I suffer unjustly, maybe I'm treated unjustly, maybe I'm persecuted for my faith, help me to love and serve and live as a missionary that I would represent Jesus well. See, it's a new identity. But here's the, here's the challenge, and this is the subtle change here, okay? Because you say, well, now you're starting to talk about doing it. Yes, I am. Because if you progress in this identity thing, it begins with a relationship with Jesus that flows into the way we do families different, the way we do the family of God, the body of Christ is different, and the way we live on mission for the community is different. But what happens so often in churches is we go, you know what, guys? We're going to be different. We're going to be a, a, a Christ-centered church, and we're going to be on mission for Jesus, so we've got to be missionaries this week. Y'all need to stop holding your faith to yourself and not sharing it with anybody, you guys need to go share Christ this week. If you love God, you're going to share Jesus. And if you don't share Jesus, you don't love God. You know, if you're not sharing Christ, come on, you guys. Oh, what is up? You doing? If you're not sharing Christ with the community, if you don't, then the problem isn't you're doing, it's your being. And so we go back to that first relationship. And what's the first relationship? Relationship with who? The center of Jesus. You can, yeah, right there. Center of, is Jesus, right? And you become a worshiper. And if you're not a worshiper, you're not going to be a missionary. And being a missionary without being a worshiper is bad advertising. You understand that? And so flows from, doing always flows from being. Always flows from being. When we're, we're right with Jesus, our relationship with Christ is right, everything else flows out of that. Let me just, let me summarize it this way. I've, this is you and me. This little guy, we're going to call his, him Christian. We can call him pagan, I guess, right now. And then he becomes a Christian. And what happens to him is um, this little guy right here, he, uh, he follows Jesus. And we, we said, what happens when you become a Christian? The Holy Spirit and this Holy Spirit comes in and dwells him. And he becomes a Christian, and suddenly the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells him. And, and he lives a different life now because, uh, because the Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation and is empowering him. And so notice at the center of this, and one of the, the most pivotal points of this that we miss so often, is the Holy Spirit enabling, empowering. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Jesus said, I can't stay with you guys forever. I've got to go to the Father, but I'm going to send the Helper. And when the Helper comes upon you, you're going to, you're going to remember the things. He's going to write the law in your heart. He's going to empower you with a missionary boldness to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. He's going to do all those things. You just need to allow Him to be powerful inside you. So He's going to indwell you. You need to yield surrender to his power and allow him to live in and through you at the same time okay this is jesus we place ourselves in christ and we become a child of god and so there's some things about jesus i want to tell you jesus was perfect jesus everything he did pleased the father just lived a perfect life he pleased the father he delighted to do the will of the father he suffered and he died on the cross we're told in um, Romans chapter 5, that we are buried with Jesus, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He's not talking about water here, by the way. He's talking about figuratively, positionally, we, have, uh, we were baptized into his death. You say, well, I've never died, so how can I be in his death? Because he died, and we're in him, and so what's true of him is now true of us. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You can live as a new creature. You can have a different life. You can 
uh, love your family different. You can love people that are different than you. You can live in the body of Christ. You can, you can deal with the habitual sin in your life, uh, the addictive behaviors, whatever the stuff is that's just the strongholds. You, you don't have to sin anymore because if you'll be in Christ and you know his spirit is in you, you have an empowerment now that you don't in your flesh have, but now with the Holy Spirit working in you, positionally being in Christ, you can live a life that is supernatural. No longer a bondage, and no longer in bondage to your sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're awakened to life. You are a slave to God now. And so the key to the Christian life, bringing it all back around. What's the key to the Christian life? It's really simple. Jesus said, abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. And you can... But then Paul said, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And he said that, so the fruit that, that I want to produce in your life comes through the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, there's going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Jesus says, you need to abide in me and, and you're going to bear much fruit. So is it Jesus that produces fruit or is it the Holy Spirit? It's the Spirit of Christ and it's both. Yes, it's the same thing, ultimately. We have a new identity as children of God. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us and that enables us to live so to summarize it, disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Disciple is somebody who follows Jesus and surrenders to his lordship, and he becomes the head of their life. And so he's in charge, and they're being changed by Jesus. That's a process of sanctification where he changes our lives, and then we're on mission with Jesus. But it's not that we see this and we say, you know what, this is what I'm supposed to be like, so I'm going to do this. No, the doing flows from the being. It flows from being in Christ, abiding in him and allowing his spirit to abide in us. And when you do that, that's how you can grow as a disciple of Christ. It's not about the stuff you do. It's about being. It's about abiding. And then who gets the credit? Who becomes bigger in your life? The cross grows. The glory of Jesus grows. Jesus is more evident in and through your life. And that is the message of the Bible. Our gospel identity, new family, God's family, missionaries to the world. Let's pray.